I don't know about you, but uh, in general, I see a line and I walk away. Um, I look for other ways or other times. But I want to show you a series of pictures that may seem familiar in terms of places or lines that you hate to wait in. Uh, the first is this, uh, I-70 westbound on Fridays. Uh, that, by the way, is right at our exit, okay? Let me show you a Sunday picture of I-70. Let's go to that one. That is also right at our entrance, or, or our exit, you might say, at, at the Walmart, because I noticed that blue house. And that's every Sunday afternoon just for you if you want to go down the hill. Uh, here's my, I got my next two pet peeves. The first is the license renewal line, because now I have to go every five years. I've gotten to be such a good driver that they say, please come back and be tested again. And uh, that is common. I go and I basically set aside, at least the last time, a half day to get a license. The next one is the emissions testing every two years. Now, explain this to me. Since one half of the cars, especially in the mountains of Colorado, are uh, all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, why out of the six lines is only one for all-wheel drive or, 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 or four-wheel drive? I do not understand except they're aiming at me. That has to be the reason. They have a, day, a calendar set up saying on this month, Jim is supposed to come in, and man, have we got him. Uh, <clears throat> There's another one. How about this airport security line? <laughs> right? You know that it's only that long when you are late for your flight and outside. Otherwise, there's no waiting at all. And here's one where people seem to be just a bit happier. Can we show this one? They all seem to be, you know, smiling, whatever. Um, that is the opening day of recreational marijuana sales in Denver. <laughs> You know, third from the left, don't I see one of you? No. Really, that's none of my business. Um, in general, we hate to wait. And the longer the line, uh, the more frustrated we get. And uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't become a Christian until I was 17, so I learned a vocabulary that I'm trying to forget. And the longer the line, the more that those old words start coming out. It's just so easy to do. So most of the times in which I find uh, my vocabulary re-emerging from the uh, 1960s is when the government is telling me that there's something I must do that I don't want to do, but they tell me that I have to do it. So I might as well just complain about it until it's over. My frustration level continues to increase waiting for what I do not want to do. Well, these are ways in which we find humanly we are waiting and just getting so unnerved as the waiting continues. But what about waiting on God? What about waiting where we believe God has made us a promise and we've read a promise and we're claiming that promise but it's just not happening. What is your frustration level when you're waiting on God? You know, waiting on God does not have a line. It's not like this. And you're behind seven or eight other people. 
But waiting on God makes you feel like you're in limbo. In other words, there's nothing happening at that time. As we are looking in our series about intentions, divine or otherwise, we're at this point now in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapters 37 to 50, where we understand he has a long period of waiting in his life. Now, long to him may not be long to you. Uh, Short to him may be very long to you. But understand that this is the process of what we've been looking at. He is sold by his brothers because he snitches on them to daddy. He becomes a slave in Egypt, but is sent to prison because he refuses the sexual advances of his master's wife. He gets thrown in jail for doing the right thing. In prison, once again, he floats to the top and becomes what I call CCCEO, Chief Convict Executive Officer in the prison. Yet, even though he's managing the whole prison, it is also a season in which he's not growing in his gifts and his expertise, but he's growing in character. How do we know that? Because at a very key moment, when he's managing the whole prison and going by all of his duties and making sure, you know, the count is correct, because the count better be correct, of, of heads. So as he's noticing that, he walks by two faces and he looks at them and he says, why are you two guys so sad today? And they seem disturbed. Now, if you're managing the whole enchilada, do you look for two little black beans somewhere in the enchilada? Do you even notice? Do you count them? Do you know what's going on inside? He seems to have grown in character because he notices the two disturbed convicts. They are Pharaoh's own butler or ex-butler and and ex-baker. And because he notices them versus the time in which he was saying to his brothers, you're all going to bow down to me, because he's noticing them, you see a growth in character going on inside of him. He notices them. He notices that they're disturbed. And that they're confused, and they're confused because of a dream they had the night before. And Joseph sits down, and he interprets their dreams. And unfortunately, for one, it means you're going to be excused. You're going to be back in the palace. But for the other, it means you're going to be executed. And sure enough, within three days, each of those occurs. Because that was uh, the interpretation. One is reinstated. The other is he loses his head. Now, you look at that and you say, that's a gift of God. God has given you this great ability. You're in charge of using it. But in addition to that, if you're just using your gifts showing the power of God, if you're not showing also the character of God, the fact that this God loves you deeply and cares about what's going on in your life, if you're not showing that, you're not showing God to other people. Does he show himself in power? Yes, that's what the gifts are all about. But he also shows his compassion towards people. And if you want to touch lives in your life, you got to have God's nature and God's power. you got to have God's love and God's gifts. It takes both. So we get to this point now where uh, he has interpreted these dreams. And sure enough, they both come true. And the, um, the baker is executed. But the butler goes free. And as he walks out that prison gate... These are Joseph's words to him in verse 14. But when all goes well with you, Mr. Butler, or your translation might say cupbearer, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. 
We know what Joseph says to the butler. The butler is not recorded having said anything back to Joseph. Maybe he was just so glad to be free, he skipped out and went back to the palace. But supposing he did say something. I mean, you owe Joseph something, don't you? I mean, look how kind he was to you. So probably, you know, if he was recorded to say anything, it would probably be something like this. You bet, kid. With your gifts, believe me, and my word to, to Pharaoh, you'll be sitting at his table in days. You can count on me. On the human side, when we don't see God in it, almost all of our waiting is due to human frailty. Others let us down. And of course, we never let anybody down. But others let us down. I still remember and can open up in a folder a series of emails I had from a contractor. And uh, he promised to be at my house and complete the job uh, that he only started but took most of the money for. And his words were, you can count on me, Jim, here's the date. But it turned out that he loved my money more than me. It turned out that he loved my money more than my trust in him or my friendship with him. What kind of guy is that? It's a frail human being. Now, we can say, well, it's not just, we, let's not use the word frailty. Let's just say we all have certain imperfections. We're not, we're not as good as others expect us to be, even as good as we expect ourselves to be. So we're just filled with imperfections. Uh, God has a three-letter word for that. It's called sin. And uh, you might not like that word where you hear about it, but the Pope likes it. He calls himself a sinner. I'll jump right in. I am a sinner. In fact, I wonder if I've made promises to some of you and you're going, how long, Jim, until you're going to remember it? How long, Jim, until you're going to fulfill it? You realize it's been 47 minutes, 47 days, Barb, 47 years. You know, how long, Jim? How long? I am filled with imperfections. I hope you can uh, say the same about yourself. And if I have let you down, uh, you can invite me to lunch and I'll pay and I'll just sit and listen. Yeah, you got that right. No, that's me. All right. Did I really say? Yeah. And that's okay. Well, the chief cupbearer is excused. The butler, as we call him, he's excused. He's back in the prison. And it says that he was there for about two years. He was in that position for two years. And you'd think, well, certainly in those two years, he'd remember what Joseph did for him. Well, apparently, he, the chief butler uh, suffered from immediate selective amnesia only regarding Joseph. When he got back to the palace, he knew exactly what his job was. He knew exactly who the pharaoh was. He remembered all of the procedures that he had done before, but he forgot all about Joseph. And it would have continued that way if God did not have a larger plan for Egypt, for all of Israel, that time not that many people, and especially for Joseph. So what, what occurs in the two years later, it says two full years passed, that Pharaoh has a dream. Now God knew this dream was coming. Why? Because God made the dream. And uh, Joseph, as he continues to manage the prison for two years, and the butler continues to forget him, about him, 
Pharaoh has not one dream, but two dreams the same night. And they upset him. They're just enough similar uh, that uh, as he wakes up, he goes, I cannot figure these out. And not only can he not figure these out, but all all of his advisors, all of his spiritual mentors, all of his magicians, all of uh, those who work in the State Department for him, everybody, they can't figure him out either. But suddenly... A butler connects the dots. Let's see. Dreams you can't interpret. Hmm. Where have I seen that happen before? No. No, not there. Oh! Prison. Two years ago. And finally, he's able to put the two together. The situation just has too many similarities uh, to his own experience, not to not not to sort of say, you know, maybe the guy who helped me can help you. A couple of years ago, Pharaoh, I was in the slammer, and while I was there, somebody helped help me with my dreams. He gets this moment of clarity, lucidity in Genesis forty-one nine. Today, as he says to Pharaoh, I am reminded of my shortcomings, imperfections, uh, frailties, uh, sin. Today, I'm reminded that I made somebody a promise and didn't deliver. And he tells Pharaoh about this young Hebrew who accurately interpreted his own dreams and the, and the dreams of the baker. And, and how they were all accomplished in the next three days. You know, I, I think for the butler, it was sort of one of those Homer Simpson moments. Dole. Where he realizes, oh, yeah, well, it certainly makes sense. How come it's not making sense to me until just now? Though, the key here is there is a man who interprets dreams. The butler says, there is a man who interpreted my dream. More than interpreting it, his dream, uh, his interpretation came true. And maybe, Pharaoh, this guy can help you just like he does me. So it says in verse 14, so Joseph sent for, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Uh, they had to clean him up, uh, put him in better clothes, but he's gone from the slammer to the palace. And now he's standing before Pharaoh himself and Pharaoh looks him in the eyes and he says this, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. It's like getting a call from the White House. Just to you. Oh, they know your number. We know that, okay? They know how to reach you. And you get a call from the White House. It's saying, this is the White House calling. In fact, this is pres- the president himself. And um, we hear that you have a fantastic plan to eliminate the budget deficit in the next three years. And we'd like to call you in. And we'd like to implement your plan ASAP. So you get that phone call. And you probably would be thinking, what? I'm dreaming. Okay, no. Uh, no, you'd be thinking something. You'd be thinking, oh, finally they have my attention. I've been right all along. I know that. Finally, the people upstairs, you know, in the White House, uh, the people with all the power have called me with, and willing to give me the authority to execute a wonderful plan. What would you do? Would you take advantage of that moment? You'd be a fool not to. But here's what's going on. All, and when you look at intentions here, 
They all believe that there are human solutions to human problems. There's only human solutions to human problems. And all we need to do is find the right person. Joseph is the right person. But the story of Joseph, the the account of Joseph, is not about Joseph so much as the God who was with Joseph. And it appears that Pharaoh just wants Joseph, the person, not the God, empowering the person. So he calls him in and says, I hear you have this wonderful gift. Well, um, what would you do? I imagine you'd give your plan. But what we're talking about here is not waiting on God or waiting due to human frailty, but waiting due to God's timing. Let me share an example. More than a decade ago, God helped me grow my faith. And he did it through the most unlikely sources to Southern Baptist. Um, I had never had much help from Southern Baptist before that. This is supposed to be funny and cynical. <laughs> if it's hitting home with you and Southern Baptist, please forgive me because I we love the Baptist here, okay? We do. Uh, but in general, and this is true, when I talked to Southern Baptists about problems they have, they gave me their solution. It's worked for us every time. Here's the spreadsheet. We find that it's a 79% success rate. There's no reason why you shouldn't be in that success rate. And, and all you have to do is do exactly what we've done. Wow. That made it so easy. Till you try it. And you realize, I'm not a Southern Baptist. It's only working for the Southern Baptist. These Southern Baptists, however, camped on one single sentence of Jesus as to relying on frail humans or relying on the perfect God. And what's the situation? Uh, Jesus is is uh, standing in front of the skeptics who are criticizing him for healing on the Sabbath. They say, you can do just about, well, you can't do anything on the Sabbath, okay? No Broncos, um, no going to the store to buy milk. You go to worship, you go home, that's about it. So, okay. And, and they said, but, but you're doing all these healings on the Sabbath, Jesus. So you need to cut that out right now. Whatever you do, don't do anything that's good and, exer- and using a lot of energy. And if you're going to heal somebody, that takes a lot of energy, so cut it out. Well, Jesus just gives them ten words. My father is always at work. And so am I. My father is always at work and so am I. That means Sundays. Why? Because my father is at work on Sundays. Now you might get it that How about resting on the seventh day and how God rested and things like Jesus makes it very clear. God thinks he can do good things on Sunday. Who would have ever thought of that? God thinks you can do good things on Sunday. So suddenly it's not about Jesus and what he's doing, but it's about God the Father. It's not about God the Son, but God the Father. And if you believe that God is always at work and that same God is with you, then you can wait while he works. Let me say that. If you believe that God is always doing good, he's always at work, and you don't see how he's working in you or whatever you are concerned about, because that is the same God who is always at work, and it's the same God who is with you, you can wait while he works. Now, we don't know how Joseph feels about the butler, you know, forgetting him for two years, but Joseph does seem to believe that God has not forgotten him these last two years. What is waiting? 
Not in line, but waiting on God. What it really is waiting on God? It's believing that God is working until the evidence proves it. Believing that God is working until the evidence proves it. In other words, I don't see any evidence that he's working on this prayer request right now or something that's really deep on my heart. But I'm waiting on him in belief. See, waiting on God is different than giving up on God. God still exists when you give up on him, but you just don't think he's in your corner. Waiting on God means you'll continue to believe that he is working until the evidence proves to you that he is working. Faith or believing God is the evidence you need to keep waiting. So he spends two extra years in prison. And now he comes before Pharaoh himself for the purpose of what Joseph seems to be able to do that no one else in the entire kingdom of Egypt can do. And this is Joseph's opportunity. This is his big chance. This is his time to become a celebrity, to show off his stuff, to get payback maybe for all the devious ways that other people have treated him in the last 13 years. Because it's been about 13 years since he was sold by his brothers as a slave. 13 years. I can, I can hold a lot of resentment for 13 years. I can have a long payback list for 13 years. Oh, finally it's his chance. And here's his response. He tells Pharaoh, I can't do it. You got the wrong guy. No, 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 no. You don't say that. But that's what he says. I can't do it. You got the wrong guy. That's not the end of the sentence, though. But I have the right God. Wrong guy, right God. Wrong guy, right God. Wrong guy, right God. I have the right God, and only God could give the king the answer to his dreams. He is intentionally, you might say, taking the focus off of him and trying to put on God. Why? Is he afraid he's going to fail? No. His dreams, you know, his interpretations have always been true. They've always come out. See, behind this, as we're studying Genesis 37 to 50, we're trying to, to place our focus on the difference between the intentions of people around us and, and how the circumstances are working out and the intentions of God to help us figure out these circumstances. Joseph's answer to Pharaoh seems to point out first uh, the first of God's two intentions here. And the first intention is simply this. Here is an opportunity to brag on God, not on himself. Here is one of these great opportunities to tell people how great your God is. You see, when in doubt about certain situations... You have two options. Today, you can go online when you're in doubt of, you know, something going on in your life. And you can look at consumer reviews, Yelp or things like that, right? And that just, you know, these are humans giving their human point of view of what's, what's going on in your life right now. And you will hear all these, worst thing I ever did, never buy it again, tasted terrible, you know, list after list after list. Or... You can read the manufacturer's instructions. Who created the dream that Pharaoh dreamed? The first one. 
Who created it? Oh, come on. Your, your children would say Jesus, okay? Who created the dream that Pharaoh dreamed? God. All right. We're, we're pretty much in agreement. I won't take a vote. Who created the second dream that Pharaoh dreamed? You sure? You, you don't seem quite as sure. Yeah, it was God too. So if he's the manufacturer of the dreams, who knows what the dreams mean? Pharaoh? Pharaoh's advisors? Joseph even says, not I. You got the wrong guy, but I've got the right God. So he directs Pharaoh back to God. Imagine this as an example. You have a proposal. You realize that if this proposal is, is bought, uh, that it's going uh, it's to result in huge rewards when it's accepted. And, and you think of everything in your life that's led you up to this, to this, being, this big moment of your life. Uh, you say, I went to school for decades it, I, to, to prepare myself to get my mind ready for something like this. I have more degrees than Fahrenheit. I am ready. Then you say, not only that, but I've also worked many years in this industry, gaining the expertise for even, uh, you know, for something like this. So I'm ready. And then you find yourself that you present your proposal, you win the contract, you celebrate it with your friends, and you start the job, and you do everything as if from human intentions, as people would expect you to do. But you have failed the test of bragging on God because you waited on him. And you waited for him to be working as he has promised he is. One of God's intentions of waiting on him is for you to give him honor. And you give him honor in a way like Joseph does. You give him honor in a way in which those around you have to give God honor. Not just you saying thank you. But it's in front of people saying, do you realize what God has done? So all of the magicians, all of the counselors, everybody else that is gathered around there, they hear, not me, but God. And God is receiving honor. The second thing that's going on here, I think, in, 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 in terms of um, Joseph's life, is real faith is being developed. By real faith, again, it's not reading a book, but uh, undergoing a series of circumstances where you do not see God, but you continue to trust God. He is, um, un, you know, he spends unjust time in prison, two extra years of waiting, uh, two years with a butler, failing to remember what's going on. But what's going on in Joseph is growing real faith. Faith tested daily by the rotten experiences of his life, which caused him to trust God even more rather than give up. You go on bragging on God. If you brag on God, it's a question of who will save Egypt. God's going to save Egypt. But real faith means who will God use to save Egypt, and maybe that's Joseph. God will save Egypt. God will use Joseph to save Egypt. But God desires Joseph to have real faith because it will be tested again and again and again when he sets up the system to save it. God is in charge of Joseph's life. God is in charge of uh, Joseph's family back in Canaan. And now he's realizing God is in charge of his new homeland. God is in charge of the future of Egypt. Tell that to Egyptians today. God is at work. 
So uh, to me, the most personal question we can ask, you say, well, that's good for a nation. But no, it's not so much for the nation. It was good for Joseph. The most personal question to ask today is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And how are you waiting? Are you waiting on God for it? What are you waiting for? Can I just say we're all in waiting lines. We're all in waiting rooms. Waiting for, you know, the obvious to become obvious to us. Students. You know how everybody is asking you, what are you going to do the rest of your lives? I'll be honest, at 25, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And if you would have said to me, up till I was 26, you're going to be in a place like this. <laughs> Probably not. Are you waiting on God? That means by you're going to give it to him. You're going to use every gift that you know he's given you, but you also say, Lord, grow grow me in character so that I can handle what you want to give me. Singles. You wonder if they'll ever be a person good enough for a lifetime commitment, for a covenant that you can make and hopefully a covenant expressed back of unselfish love. Unconditional love. How long have you been waiting? Let's be honest, we live in a world where there's been a lot of bad marriages and some people feel the best thing to do is to leave it. But you're wondering, can I trust God to be either alone or to be remarried? Can I trust God for the outcome? Or do I just trust Match.com? There's nothing wrong with Match.com. It opens up a wide spectrum of other people. But who do you trust? Those in careers. You're wondering why the other person seems to be getting all the accolades and promotions, but not you. Wait on God. Parents, you want a better relationship with your grown children. Wait on God. Those who are retired, and there's a lot of them in this church, who are disappointed with the quality of your lives. You say, you know what, i got all the time now, but I don't have the health or the money to enjoy it. Wait on God. Maybe there's something that you weren't expecting that he has for you. And I want to leave you with just three ideas of how you wait. I think these will help. Um, in, In terms of, okay, you said, well, you know, Wait, 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 wait. But how do I wait? The first is you wait in your prayers. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 or 7, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't stop praying. Does it make God more aware of what's on your heart? No, he's already known. It keeps it on your heart. Secondly, you keep God in terms of your trust. You wait on God with your trust. You believe that God is not only aware of what's going on in your life, but he's also at work. And, and you ask to have eyes to see what you're doing. If, if you just don't know what to do with this afternoon, go to Daniel chapter 10 today. And you'll read there that Daniel is, uh, is, has made this prayer request and nothing's happening. Daniel makes this prayer request and nothing is happening. Finally, the request is answered and an angel comes to him and he goes, and, and I, again, I'm, 
I'm contemporizing. He goes, I'm so sorry, Daniel. I, you know, God heard this request and was answering it 21 days earlier. But an evil angel stopped me from entering Persia. Now you take that and think about it. That sometimes what's going on in your lives is changing the entire heavenly perspective. Trust God that he will continue to do this. And finally, in your obedience, do not compromise God's standards or God's truth or God's ethics to get your desires another way. Obey God. Don't try the other way. Then you can brag on him when you see what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord, I want to begin today by saying, Almighty God, because you are, there is nothing impossible for you. There's nothing too small, there's nothing too big that you don't care about and can't act on. I also want to pray this morning because we have a lot of people who are waiting on you. And if we're honest, if not for one thing, maybe for many things. And if we're honest, maybe we've let it slip aside. Our prayer, our prayer is, Lord, get us back in the saddle of actively waiting on you. Believing that you're at work until we see the evidence of your work. Simply believing that you are real, you care about us, you are going to work. We will see the evidence. You're working even now. Let's be still before God. And you bring to him, this is probably not the first time, probably won't be the last. Keep on asking. Lord, I'm waiting on you for this. Just silently. Lord, I'm waiting on you for this. Grow my faith. Help me take the opportunity to brag on you when it comes. And we ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen.